Hi, this is Bennett Tomlin with your Scientific Nutrition Update, the show where in 5 to 10 minutes you get my quick thoughts on something new or interesting in the world of health, nutrition, or fitness. For today's episode, we're going to talk about coffee, that beautiful elixir that helped me write my book, sit through boring committee meetings, and pull many all-nighters. This episode does include some pretty cool but somewhat complex science and is somewhat longer, so buckle up. Back in episode 19, we discussed caffeine, and this might tangentially be connected to that, but we're primarily focused on coffee as a compound as a whole in this episode. Coffee is one of those common foods that has really surprising benefits in a huge number of health domains. These are my favorite kind of thing because it isn't some esoteric mushroom or extract from some rare plant. <clears throat> it is a common and frequently used substance. Now let's look at one of the diseases I've spent the most time studying, type 2 diabetes. Six out of nine large-scale studies have found that coffee consumption reduces the risk of developing type 2 diabetes. However, some of the people in these studies are drinking crazy amounts of coffee. One study found that those who drank seven cups of coffee per day had a 50% lower risk of developing type 2 diabetes compared to those who drank two cups or less a day. The seven cups a day caught my attention though because that is a ton of coffee. Then I read another one which found that men who drink 10 cups or more per day had a 55% lower risk, while women who drank 10 cups per day had a 79% lower risk than those who drank two cups a day. However, the most convincing study to me was a twin study that found that those who consumed seven cups per day had a 35% lower risk than those that consumed two or less. Overall, it seems that large-scale coffee consumption may reduce the risk of type 2 diabetes, but this is large-scale coffee consumption. Oddly enough, large amounts of coffee consumption are associated with raised levels of insulin while consuming, which is surprising considering what we just established, so the full mechanism here requires some more explanation. There are several proposed mechanisms, including impaired glucose absorption from the intestine, increase in magnesium consumption, inhibition of glucose 6-phosphate, and even possibly weight loss, though I'm not convinced about that one because coffee consumption is normally either not associated with or very weakly associated with BMI. Now, there have also been several studies which have seemed to suggest that coffee consumption may reduce the risk of developing Parkinson's disease. There have been both case control studies and large perspective studies that seem to show that coffee consumption is inversely associated with Parkinson's disease. This effect seems to show up more often in men than women and doesn't seem to show up in all the cohort studies you would expect. The Nurses Health Study actually found that more than six cups of coffee a day seems to increase the risk of developing Parkinson's disease in postmenopausal women who used estrogen, but it was inversely correlated with risk for women who had not used postmenopausal estrogen. This suggests the overall mechanism here may be quite complex, sex modulated, and involve estrogen. It may be because estrogen inhibits an enzyme that breaks down the caffeine in coffee. Now we move on to the liver, which is one of my organs that has received its fair share of abuse from $2 Thursdays at Ribco and my own fish bowls and my love for Reposado tequila. There is some evidence that coffee may help the liver. 
Coffee consumption has been found to be inversely correlated with markers of liver injury. There is an issue here, though, and that is that liver damage, such as cirrhosis, inhibits caffeine metabolism, which is primarily done in the liver. So there's a chance that the uh, causal error is actually going the other way here, namely that people with liver damage drink less coffee because the caffeine is not metabolized as well. However, it's important to note that coffee consumption is associated with a lower risk of dying from cirrhosis, suggesting it may have some benefit to the liver. Even better, coffee consumption seems to be negatively associated with all-cause mortality, suggesting that coffee as a whole may reduce the risk of death. All-cause mortality is a number I tend to look at when I'm looking at compounds like this with mixed effects to determine whether or not they have a net benefit. Coffee seems to pass this test. This may also be because coffee is rich in antioxidants and as such can help reduce free radicals and oxidative damage in the body. This is generally a good thing for health, though I do have a tendency to think many internet health experts overstate this potential utility. Now there are some potential health risks associated with coffee consumption that need to be discussed here. First and foremost is the risk of cardiovascular disease. Case control studies have suggested that coffee consumption may increase the risk of heart disease. However, this effect does not seem to hold in prospective cohort studies, so I'm hesitant to overinterpret these studies. Even more telling to me seems to be that many of the studies that suggest a danger, they seem to come from boiled coffee instead of filtered coffee, so I would seriously recommend filtering your coffee. The mechanism for this potential increase may be due to the fact that boiled coffee seems to increase plasma cholesterol concentration. Well, co filtered coffee seems not to have that same effect. It's also important to remember that caffeine can acutely raise blood pressure, though maybe not chronically. It also may be impairing the absorption of some minerals, like calcium and zinc from the digestive system. It's also important whenever we're talking about coffee to remember that it is addictive and does induce withdrawal headaches. Also, a note on cancer, since California is now saying that coffee needs to come with a warning. California says coffee needs to come with a warning because it contains a chemical that the World Health Organization says probably causes cancer. It has not been definitively linked to human cancer. And although some case control studies seem to suggest that coffee can increase the risk of cancer, this does not seem to hold in large prospective cohort studies. And as such, I'm not particularly worried about the risk of cancer from coffee. There's also a somewhat obvious evidence that coffee consumption, especially late in the day, can interfere with sleep. And sleep is obviously an essential part of our health. So you do have to be cognizant of that risk when you're drinking coffee. Overall, coffee seems to be a useful compound for health, reducing the risk of type 2 diabetes, liver disease, and Parkinson's disease. There's a slight chance it may contribute to cardiovascular disease, but I think that risk is relatively small. Plus, it's a useful antioxidant. Overall, I think coffee seems to be almost completely safe and beneficial for health, and as such, I'm still going to enjoy my daily cup of gel. Remember, you can always find the show notes for this episode and the rest at scinutrient.com forward slash podcast. That's scinutrient.com forward slash podcast. If you find any great journal articles on anything you think I might find interesting, email them to me at scinutrient at gmail.com. If you have any other questions, send me a voice message on Anchor, and I'll try to answer them on this podcast. If you want to learn more about intermittent fasting, consider checking out my book, The Optimized Guide to Intermittent Fasting. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. It helps more than you know. Thank you for tuning in, and remember, live long, 
live healthy, but most of all, live happy. Oh, thank you.